Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. everybody. Praise God. What a fantastic time we've had already in his presence. And uh, he doesn't change. So we're just going to carry on having a wonderful time being blessed by him and us blessing him. It's not good to be thirsty. That's not the title. The title is, The Cross Brings Life. Okay? I'm excited about what's already come this morning because I, I think we've heard a lot about life, about the life of Christ in us, Christ's life, the Spirit, the life of the Spirit, and those are some of the things that I'm going to attempt to share with you this morning. So let's ask the Lord for his help and blessing for this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, King of Kings. Thank you, Lord of Lords. Thank you, God, who is high over all. Thank you, abundant God. Thank you, amazing Jesus. Thank you, wonderful counselor and illuminator of the word for us, Holy Spirit. And we just pray this morning that you will do exactly that, that you will illuminate for us. Let us have revelation. Let your words open windows for us to see things that we haven't seen in fullness before. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I was very blessed with this scripture that Simon shared with us from Colossians 2, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. That is a wonderful scripture and very helpful to us today. So thank you for sharing that with us. I'd like you to turn to three scriptures. Straight away, we're going to go to Romans 8, and we're going to read a verse from there. Romans, my favorite book in the Bible. (laughs) Shortly followed by Ephesians. (laughs) Maybe my uh, joint favorite, actually. Uh, So we're going to start Romans 8, get your fingers in Ephesians 1 and 2, and we're going to read three scriptures. I'm afraid I don't have anything other for the screen than that, so you're going to need to look at the pages in front of you as we go through. So Romans 8 and verse 11, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and I will stray into the Spirit-filled Bible New King James Version. Yes. So, Romans 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Actually, let's read that again. You can read it with me. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. In fact, let's change it now. Lives in me. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in me. Amen. Hallelujah. And it continues, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living in you. Praise the Lord. 
we're going to come back to that. Let's turn to Ephesians 1, verse 19 to 22. The cross brings life, and it's life that we're interested in this morning. It's, it's life that we want to discover more about this morning. Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 22, again, the New Living Translation. I also pray, this is Paul uh, praying for the Ephesians, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Amen? Amen. Chapter 2 and verses 4 to 6. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word, your transforming word. So there's absolutely no way I can unpack all of that this morning because it's so rich. But what I want us to look at is life, the life that we have received, the life that has raised us from the dead, the life that is in Christ and is in us. And I started thinking about where did, where did the first breath of life come? And of course, we go back into Genesis because God originally breathed life into his creation. He created man and woman and he created them in his image. He created them to be like him. But there's this fantastically brilliant little moment where you see how that life came. It says in Genesis 2 and verse 7, then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living person. I don't know if you've ever done um, life to life, whatever it's called, resuscitate. But I just had this picture of the Lord look, getting ready, get the nostrils of the man and going <laughs> from him to man. Filled him with divine breath. With divine life. And then sent him to rule and multiply and fill the earth with him, his own uh, reproduction, with his own people like him, who essentially are going to be people like God because he created him in his image. That was the original intention. He breathed life into the man's nostrils and he became a living person. He didn't become a person. He became a living person. That's the difference. A living person, not just a person. Divine life was breathed in and he was alive, living. 
We know the story. We know that uh, sin entered through disobedience and death became the penalty. And Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. But God has an intention and a plan. And he sent Jesus to come to earth, supernatural and abundant in his life, to come to earth, to come and be alive, a living person on the earth, water baptized, full of the Spirit, a living man coming to demonstrate divine life on earth. In John chapter 1 and verse 4, and I really recommend the book of John for all these uh, scriptures, but also just as a great book for us when we're looking at Jesus and his life and the cross. John chapter 1 verse 4 said, The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought life to everyone. Jesus is all about life. He's about giving it, demonstrating it, showing it, laying it down. It's about his life. He gave life to everything that was created. He gave life at the very beginning, and he came back to bring life again. He came to reveal life in all its divine power and divine love. In John chapter 3 and verse 6, Jesus is trying to explain what this new life is like to Nicodemus. And he's saying, you don't, you know, human, humans give birth to, to new humans. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. The kind of life that Jesus is bringing is spiritual, it's supernatural, it's not natural. Jesus explained, you know, this life has come from heaven. It's not come from anything natural. Now, why am I emphasizing all the things you already know and I know? Because knowing them is not enough. We have to catch them, they have to bed into us, and they have to start bearing fruit through us. In John chapter 4, Jesus is trying to, uh, well, he's not trying to do anything at all. He's actually doing an explanation for the woman at the well, uh, trying to tell her what this life is like that he has. She's thirsty. She comes to the well and he says, I've got something you you can never possibly understand because it's not natural. It's supernatural. It doesn't come from the earth. It's a spring that's inside you that never runs dry. It's eternal. It's always, always full. It's there within. And it's like um, a bubbling spring, a fresh bubbling spring. The life The life of Jesus is like a fresh, bubbling spring within. It's not just about the duration. It's about the quality of the life. We have eternal life, but he is giving an eternal life with a quality that is like a fresh, bubbling spring. So the life that Jesus is demonstrating is not an ordinary life. It has an eternal nature and is powerful. It's moving and it's surging within. It's loving It's unconditional, it's healing, it's saving, it's forgiving, it's righteous, it's holy, it's strong, it's uncompromising. This life is understanding, this life is valiant, this life is just, this life is generous, this life is sacrificial, this life is caring, this life is compassionate, this life is miraculous, this life is countercultural, this life is radical, this life is patient, this life is kind, this life is not proud or rude, this life is not seeking, this life keeps no record of wrongs. 
That is the eternal, supernatural, fresh, bubbling spring of life that came forth from Jesus. He says in John 10, I came that they may have life. Not I came that they might be people, but I came that they might be living people with life. I, I feel so passionate about us understanding the life that Jesus has put inside us. I came that they may have life and have it in abundance to the full. Who was talking about that this morning? To the full, overflowing. To the full, overflowing. Real, eternal life, more and better life than you've ever dreamed of before. An abundance, plenty, more than enough. If you have an abundance, then that's probably more than you actually really need. It's just the generosity of God to give you an abundance, but he gives you so much because you've then got life that you can share and spill out to other people who are thirsty. There's enough forever for others In 1 John 5 and 12, it says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. That's the difference between being alive and dead. If you have the Son, you're alive. Spiritually, you are alive. If you don't have the Son, you're dead. Spiritually. We have to understand... And I have to understand Jesus' life and death in order to understand who I am. Because he lives in me. When we read about Jesus, we're reading about the one who lives in us. This is the life of Jesus that we see as we read the Gospels and as we uh, live and move in the Spirit in our everyday lives. This is the life of Jesus that we see today, working all over the world in in different ways. But it's not all yet been revealed to us, the expanse and abundance of this life, has it, in our own lives. We would like to see much more. I think Shirley said that this morning. But that doesn't change the nature of the life of Christ. All it means is we have to lay our our lives down more in order for his life to be revealed more through us. Jesus' life is more powerful than death. We know that, but I like saying it. Jesus' life is more powerful than death. I'm going to shout that out. Sometimes we have to remember where we are. We're seated in heavenly realms. We're living spiritual beings. And the spiritual realms need to hear the truth. Do you know what? The demons are dead scared when you say things like, Jesus is alive! That's right. They get worried. Yeah, yeah. They're ready to run. Yeah, yeah. We need to be vocal and verbal, and we need to be yeah, right. really ready yeah, right. to express what we know is the truth. Yeah, that's right. yeah. that's right. If you're afraid of silence, then you need to realize the life of Jesus yeah, is far greater than anything else, yeah, yeah. more powerful than death. You know, when uh, Lazarus um, was dead, Jesus said to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. Jesus came to give up his life for the whole world. 
It was to be like a seed sown in the ground, dead and buried, but would multiply into new birth. And in John 12, 24, it says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Jesus' life, that life that we've just talked about, was planted in the ground. The cross was rammed into the earth, and he, his life as a seed, went into the ground, dead. Purposefully. Because that was the only way for there to be a whole harvest of new lives, a plentiful harvest of new lives. So the innocent, the abundant, the unconditional, the grace-filled, the strong, powerful life of Jesus was the willing sacrifice made to initiate a plentiful harvest of new lives. In order for his life and breath to be ours, he had to deal with the power of sin. And on the cross, we've sang it this morning, as an aside, the ministry of the word on the cross and the crown has been life-changing. The ministry of the worship has also been life-changing. In the last few weeks, we've been, well, months, isn't it? The truth is permeating us. Uh, On the cross, Jesus conquered every evil force and power, every enemy of God, every sin, every mental torment, every sickness. He dealt with it all. He never gave in to temptation at all. He experienced every challenge and disappointment, every shame, every betrayal, every pain that you and I might have experienced. He experienced all of that. Every challenge, everything that comes to block your path or get in your way, Jesus conquered it all on the cross. In fact, in Colossians 2.15, it says, he shamed them publicly by his victory over them. The life of Christ was a suitable sacrifice. That perfect life dealt with all our imperfections. When uh, Stefan and um, somebody else brought the word, uh, Stuart, wasn't it? About there are specific people that the Lord wants to minister to this morning and is, is ministering to. Um, it just says in Hebrews 4, 4.15, the high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the testings we do, yet he didn't sin. He understands all our challenges. He understands all our weaknesses. He faced them all and yet he didn't succumb to them. He overcame them. He has done it all. His sacrifice was sufficient. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Yes, he is. He is full of wonder. He is full of awe. This is the life in us if we submit to him. Jesus' life transforms us. We know when he went into the grave, he didn't stay there. We sang it this morning. 
He died, was buried in the tomb of the garden, and then when Mary came to find Jesus' body in the tomb, she discovered he wasn't there. Now, you can read the Bible for years and years and years and read something and then you've read it before, but you see something you haven't seen before and start thinking away if not thought before. So uh, Mary is looking for Jesus. She wasn't expecting the tomb to be empty, even though she probably heard Jesus talk about what was going to happen. But he wasn't there. And she started to cry. And Jesus asked her, this is in John 20, 15, who are you looking for? And as she turned, and it says actually when she saw him, She thought he was the gardener. I'm a bit into gardens, so I stopped and thought about that. I thought, why did she think Jesus was the gardener? That's weird. What what was he doing that made her think he was the gardener? I, I can't imagine him gardening, actually, but maybe he was standing by a watering bucket of water, or... Uh, Maybe he was just um, walking around the garden, seeming as though he was looking at everything and examining it. Uh, I don't know, but she thought he was the gardener. I thought, why is that in there, that little little, uh, moment? Well, a gardener's job, or the job of a gardener, is to look after the garden and also to look after the people who work the garden and also to take care of what happens to the produce of the garden and uh, to keep it all in a good state, being worked and tilled properly, producing fruit and vegetables or whatever, and then giving an account to the actual owner of the gardener. Uh, I've just been to see a fantastic garden. They had a head gardener, 12 other gardeners, but it all belonged to Prince Charles. And I just remembered that there was a time when Jesus was in the garden. And he actually, in in that garden, he'd given commission to go and fill the earth and multiply and asked asked Adam to, to rule and to look after the garden and make it fruitful. And then he breathed into Adam. And Jesus has died... But now, he's alive. He stopped breathing. Now, he's alive. He's breathing. Breath has come into his body again. He is alive. And he's in the garden. And he is ready because there's some more breathing coming their way. There's some more life coming their way. Resurrection life has come forth in the garden. And he is going to fill and fill them full to overflowing with resurrection life, which is going to cause those disciples to go forth and multiply and fill the earth. And he's standing in the garden and Mary's there and he's thinking, it's going to happen soon. It's going to happen soon. It's going to happen soon. I wonder if he felt like watering everything, you know, and saying, it's coming, it's coming. Life Life in the Holy Ghost is coming. I love that he was in the garden, ready, ready for the next phase. Hallelujah. 
The garden was the starting place. And here Jesus, before he goes through the next 40 days and then ascends, he's, I think he remembers when he breathed into man. I think he remembers that. I remember breathing in. But something is coming now that's greater. He has conquered sin and death. Man had been expelled from the garden. Now new life has come in the garden and he's the doorway. And man can come back in the garden where he belongs. In John 20, 21, it says, Jesus breathed on them, the disciples, who were who are in a state of shock because he has risen. And uh, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. He tells them to wait then, actually between that moment and, and the point at which he says, wait in Jerusalem for, because the Holy Spirit is going to come in power. He's given them a foretaste, the 11. He's breathed on them, it says in John 20. And he's talked about leaving them with peace, and sending them out. And he starts to appear to them in all kinds of different places over breakfast and all different places. He just pops, pops up. I'm alive. I just want you to see I'm alive. Takes them by surprise and, they, and they're like, well, show us your wounds. Here they are. I'm alive. Yeah, right. And then he turns up again. And then after these 40 days, he says, I don't want you to do anything till you've received power because I want you to wait in Jerusalem uh, for the time that is right time to receive the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you which will send you out in a new dimension with a new breath. You see, Jesus' life is real. They needed to see that his life was real. There was no, no special gimmicks. There was no, um, no magic tricks or anything like that. He really is alive. Yeah. And he kept showing up so that they got it. He really is alive. Yeah, Jesus' life is real. He talked about the kingdom of God, breathed on them. They still needed to see proofs. They were like in the schoolroom with Jesus, being prepared for a mission. Then they watched Jesus ascend into heaven, leaving them waiting. I don't know about you, but I take encouragement from that. Because sometimes you can feel like you're waiting for something, and it hasn't come. And you know that Jesus has promised that it will come. And the disciples, in fear, and by now we've got 120 believers and uh, disciples in the upper room waiting, 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 praying, praying, praying. He said, we're going to get this. He said the Holy Spirit's coming. They're waiting. It's good to wait for the time in which the Lord brings your breakthrough. Sometimes we have to wait for the breakthrough. They waited and they waited and they waited they felt a little scared maybe a little bit discouraged but they waited until they felt 
not a breath, but they heard a sound that was like the instant roaring of a powerful windstorm. It wasn't the build-up to a storm. It was the instant roaring of the fullness of a powerful windstorm. In heaven, things were changing, things were turning around, something was going on, and there was a sound that was announcing something major was going to happen. They didn't feel a breath, but a huge wind of God came and brought with it flames like tongues of fire that settled on them. Awesome. Can you imagine? Imagine. Imagine it. Imagine it. Imagine it. Imagine it. I'm up there with you, Chris. Imagine. And there's fire all over you. Woo! Settling on you from heaven. There's this sound of wind. And there's fire on you. Tongues of fire coming down and settling on you all over you. And you're just sitting there and you're looking at others and you're thinking, what's going on? You're swept up in something that's come from heaven to earth. And it came in a wind, not a breath, a wind, a mighty rushing wind. John G. Lake says, uh, when he's talking about Jesus' uh, ascension and return, and he says, Jesus came to the balcony of glory and he poured out the Holy Spirit on every heart that was hungry to receive. I love that picture. The balcony of glory. He's returned home and he comes to the balcony and he's been given permission. Yes, thank you. I have received the keys of death and hell. Now, here, pour out your spirit. Pour it out. And out of heaven comes the Holy Spirit in power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You see, what is coming from heaven is life of Jesus Christ. It's his spirit. His Holy Spirit is coming to you in that moment and came to them in that moment. They were receiving of a victorious Savior in heaven. In heaven, Jesus returned victorious on earth there was a receiving of the Holy Spirit, filling believers with the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ, equipping them for the greatest expansion and extension of the ministry of Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. Amen. When you and I have received the Holy Spirit, we are receiving the life of Jesus Christ that equips us to by his spirit continue the ministry of Jesus on earth. We have an important role and function and calling. It says uh, when when, uh, in Acts 2 verse 33, we can just read it here. Peter, Peter has just received this blessing and then he has to try and explain it. You know, like a week or two weeks ago, they were still looking at his wounds and Jesus was showing up saying, I'm alive, I'm alive. But now Peter has this incredible revelation, really, and understanding of the scripture. 
He says, God raised Jesus from the dead. And we're all witnesses of this. Now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us, just as you see and hear today. I think Peter was able to say that because he'd received the spirit of revelation. When the Holy Spirit came, his eyes were opened, his mind was opened, and everything he had heard, read to him and taught to him from the scriptures, all came to life, and suddenly he could see the ascended Christ. He could see something. Following the outpouring of the Spirit... Paul's speech to the onlookers shows how his baptism of the Holy Spirit has given him revelation into the heavenly realms. I want to to say to you and to me, let's reach for revelation of the heavenly realms. We are filled with divine life. We have the spirit of Jesus Christ. We need to see more into the heavenly realms. See, more, when I say that, I mean we need to, with our eyes of faith, be able to understand more about what's going on that is nothing to do with flesh and blood, but it's to do with powers and principalities that are there that we need to deal with. I like to think, and I hope this is okay, I like to think that the release of the Spirit is the crowning moment of the cross. If that makes sense. The whole purpose of the cross and the resurrection is fulfilled in the outpouring of the Spirit following Jesus' ascension and his seating in the heavenly realms. Here's another quote from John G. Lake. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is the greatest event in Christian history. It was the end and the finality of crucifixion and resurrection, ascension and glorification. Amen. The life of Jesus has not only given us life, but has raised us from the dead. We were dead, but now we are alive. We are living persons, living people. Hallelujah. He has raised us from the dead. We have resurrection life. We have victory over death, but also the ascended and seated rule and authority of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Now, I know there are people in here that are going to unpack that for us in more detail, I hope, in future future weeks. But Jesus' life gives us authority. The triumph and the wonder of God The power and the authority of the cross and resurrection becomes ours when he breathes his life into us because he is in us by his spirit. The winds of the heavens blew and we received the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the spirit is much more than speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is something we must do. We must do. But it's much more than that, being baptized in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit settled on them in the form of tongues of fire. It rested upon them, on their heads, an an exterior demonstration of an internal transformation. As I thought about it, I thought, it's almost like a crown. 
those tongues of fire. It's almost like a crown on their heads. Um, It's a symbol of power, rule, and reign, and of the new breath and life of God in in them. You know, as they looked at each other in that upper room, they would have seen that fire settling on on them. I I don't know whether you're like this, but I sometimes, I, I try to think and then look in the way that the Bible tells us we are. So when, um, when we come to worship, the Bible tells us to come into his throne room. So I try not to think about this room. I just think about coming into a throne room. So even though I've got walls around me, I'm thinking about myriads of angels and, and a throne and all those colors and all that light and sound. And start to be there. And when uh, I started thinking about this, almost like the crown of the Holy Spirit represented that, I thought when I look, if I, if I was there with Rich and Annie and we were sat in that upper room and, and I looked at them, I would never forget that something I saw on your heads was a representation of something, something about royal life divine life coming into you with all the power and authority invested in that life filling you to the fullness of God that symbol raging fire all powerful all consuming dealt with death now ruling and reigning I won't forget that there's a, a really natty little phrase that you might not like which is Uh, don't forget to wear your crown. It's a bit girly, actually. I've kind of come across it in different magazines and things, but don't forget to wear your crown. On a serious note, don't forget who you are and who lives in you by his spirit. Don't forget who lives in you by his spirit. Don't forget who he is that lives in you by his spirit. I mustn't do that. As they looked at each other, they would have seen this fire settled on them. The crowning seals the issue of identity. It's really important. As soon as the Holy Spirit comes and fills them, they're wearing a crown, child, adopted, accepted by him. Their identity comes. It seals the issue. It talks about the Holy Spirit coming to seal, being a seal in our lives. And it also talks about when we've received that seal of the Holy Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. Our identity is in that moment in the upper room, in that pouring out of the Spirit. We've become joint heirs with Christ. We've been born from above in that moment, in that, in that crowning, if you like. We suddenly realize we've become joint heirs with Christ. We're born from above. We've been sanctified and accepted. I'd like to challenge you and me. If you know you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you have been accepted. You have. It's a non-negotiable. You have been accepted. You have been made acceptable. 
We were made righteous. In that crown, there's the supernatural life. We know that all the resources of heaven have been given to us as they have been given to Christ because we are united with him. And we know that he has given us a name that we can use that is above every other name. His name, Jesus. So in that moment, there is the most incredible impartation from heaven to earth, a receiving of life, not ordinary life, not natural life, but the divine life of Jesus Christ came by the power of the Spirit and filled us when we were filled with his Spirit. When that happens, you start to have a different heartbeat. You change entirely because Christ has come in you by the power of his spirit and you can no longer be the same. Your heart will beat with a heavenly desire to bless the world because now Jesus is living inside you and his heart is going like that. You have changed. Everything that is in Christ is in us too. Maybe we we haven't thought about the enormity of the significance of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit. Very significant and important thing. Everything that is in Christ is in us too. Christ is in you, Lauren. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Alice, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Becky, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Christ is in you. The tangible, living, pulsating life of Christ is in you. He's alive in you. And as we subject our flesh to the rule of the one who lives in us, we become more and more like him. In 1 John 4, 17, it says, As he is, so are we in this world. We have received the spirit of victory and power and might, dominion and grace and love. Praise the Lord. The first scripture we read, the spirit of Christ who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Just as Christ, sorry, just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. Him living in you by his spirit. The the, <laughs> you are in him, he is in you, and your body receives life. I believe that's your physical body, that's your spirit. That life in you of Christ is for all those things. Romans 8.15, you have become joint heirs with Christ. I'm just going to bang out a few scriptures now. Galatians 3.6, we're all one in Christ. 
All these things are ours because of what he has done and who we are to him. We are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says God is making his appeal to the world through us. This new creation, this spirit-filled living person that has been released by the Spirit of God is making an appeal to the world through us. Those who receive new life in 2 Corinthians 5 will no longer live for themselves. They are a new humanity, a selfless humanity, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We have become new creations. We have become God-filled men and women. We've been breathed on from above and we've been filled with divine life and power. God's intention was that through the cross, resurrection and ascension, we should be changed to be like him and full of him. Full of his glory, full of his power, full of his life, his breath, appealing to a lost and broken world that is in darkness on behalf of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Wow. We're acting on behalf of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Don't forget, you're wearing crown. Remember who lives in you. Remember who breathes in you. In Hebrews 2.4, it says, he became like us so that we could become like him. He died so that we could live. He was raised so that we could be raised. He was seated so that we could sit with him. He came so that we might have life. We need to be God conscious, not me conscious. We need to be heaven conscious, not earth bound. And we need to be alive and not dead. I'm going to open my spirit filled New King James Bible now. And I'm going to turn to the scripture in Ephesians that we read at the beginning. Many uh, years ago, this Bible was in the hands of an elderly gentleman called Mr. Ted Kent, who some of you will remember with great fondness. But Ted was a man who lived yearning and yearning for more and more revelation of the Christ in him. And I'm going to show you the pages of this Bible. It's just totally, totally illegible because of how much scribbling he'd done in it. But there was a period of time when I used to go round and visit, and he'd say, sit down, my dear. Esther, go and put the kettle on. And I'd sit down, and he'd say, I have read the most incredible things in the scriptures. I need to tell you. And he would read to me about what it is to be a new creation. Go, my dear, 
This is all we need to know. This is the new revelation that we need to have. And at the time, I sat there and I thought, yes, it is. It is. That's great. And um, I th- he read for a long time. Um, long, long, long time. <laughs> really long time. Longer than I have to talk this morning. And at the end, he would, he would be overwhelmed by the revelation. But... As I've looked at the life of Jesus, the cross and the crown, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the glorification of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I realized I really didn't hear much of what he was saying at all. I thought I did, but I didn't. And it's funny that I reached for this Bible because I thought, I want to share on this, and I know he really grasps some of it. And this is a man who had numerous challenges and um, tests, and yet on the inside he knew he was a spirit-filled, power-filled believer, regardless. So Ephesians 2 verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Together, together, together. New creation, dead and buried, alive, resurrected and ascended with him together together with Jesus a new creation because God was so rich in mercy my friends I'm going to leave it there this morning I trust that you have been blessed and let's Let's gaze and look upon all that he has done for us and understand who we are more and more and more via Jesus Christ. He is our identity. He is the one that explains us because he lives and we have died. Let's love him, worship him, but let's know him. Let the understanding of our hearts, the eyes of our hearts and the understanding of our minds be submitted to the word of God such that the revelation that is there for us in the word becomes open to us in greater and greater measure that we will be an incredible blessing and bring glory to God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's our prayer, Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.